We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I've flown all the way to London just to give the pre-match dressing room chat to the Norwich team. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can find me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. That's right. I am in London, and I am happy to be here. Uh, I will be addressing the Norwich team ahead of their game with Tottenham to inspire the lads. I think I'm going to go with the St. Crispin's Day speech from, uh, what is that, Henry IV Part II. Um, I think I think it's going to work. I think Team Mupuki is going to be here. You know what? Let's be honest. I don't, I don't understand how jinxes work, and frankly, I don't know if this is one of those things where I'm supposed to say, uh, it's not even going to be a game, they don't have a chance, or where I'm supposed to say Spurs are going to be Spursy. But if you are in the Norwich area, and you do make lasagna, um, you know, and you do have any E. coli, I'm just saying your help would be greatly appreciated. Look, this is a Spurs team that once crapped the bed on the final day, losing 5-1 to 10-man relegated Newcastle. Um, not that we want to bring up Newcastle again. So all things are possible. <clears throat> uh, if you're watching the video, you'll notice I'm in a hotel room. If you're just listening, uh, you can probably hear my sounds a little different. That is because I arrived this morning, so a little bit jet lag, but very, very excited to be here. And we'll be talking about how you derive joy from the arsenal and and how we connect to this stuff or misery from the arsenal. <laughs> Your mileage may vary. But got to get through a little bit of admin first. And the first bit of admin is tomorrow, Friday, uh, of the final weekend, there's a Gooners versus Cancer event at the Tollington, and a lot of us will be there. Paul will be there. I will be there. I think Andrew Arsblog will be there. I think James McNicholas might be stopping by. A lot of other people, uh, Mike from the Gooners pod and from Gooners versus Cancer, will be there, and we'd love to see you there. So you can check out Mike's Twitter feed, or I've retweeted it, or you know, just sort of show up at the Tollington. It's pretty easy to find. It'll be uh, Friday evening, I think, starting around 7 p.m. One other thing, if you're an American uh, with a kid – a, a boy or a girl in the eight to sixteen year old range. Um, Arsenal fan David Evan uh, Evans got in touch, and he's working with the club to do Arsenal camps. These are pretty cool. They're uh, footballing camps associated with Arsenal, and and the one in Baltimore might be in particular uh, interesting to you because there may be a chance to actually connect with the club directly. They're working out the details of that, but uh, it's getting late in the day to sign up to that. And the locations will be New York City, Greenwich, Connecticut, 
Baltimore, Maryland, uh, the ultimate soccer camp experience. And you can go check that out at Arsenal Camps US. That's arsenalcampsus.com. So, um, you know, if you'd like to mention Arsenal Vision for a discount, David said he can honor that. But the important thing is it's an Arsenal football camp for boys and girls age 8 to 16. So check that out. Okay. That's just about it for the admin, other than to say, obviously, I'm in town. We're in town. We're doing our live show at Union Chapel on Saturday night. So look forward to seeing you there. Those of you who can make it, those of you who can't, we might be putting together some drinks activities for after that uh, and probably be at the Tollington before the game on Sunday. And so I'm really excited to be here. And the thing that I, I need to do is talk about connection briefly. I don't, I don't want to get too in our feelings here. You know, that this isn't the Arsenal Feelings podcast, the Arsenal Vision podcast, but Clive... Uh, the club did put out the new shirt today. They launched the new home shirt. Uh, nice classic looking snazzy model with it with a, a beautiful collar and all that jazz. And they're doing something really special. As you know, we've raised, I shouldn't say we've raised, you, you listening, have raised a lot of money for the Arsenal Foundation um, on our behalf and, and in our partnership in the past. Well, now, if you go and buy the shirt from the Armory or from the Arsenal website directly, five pounds are going to be donated to the Arsenal Foundation. They've never done it before. It's for local community efforts. And I think that is a brilliant, brilliant initiative. And Clive's voice is the voice of the launch video, the the shirt launch video. And Clive, as I sit here and just feel emotional already having been over to the stadium, first place I went when I got into London, what connection means to all of us is different. And I do think that when you find connection to the club through the people that you sit next to at the stadium or the people you go to the pub and watch with or the online community you share, it gives you the ability to ride out the highs and lows. And I wanted to just get your take on how it felt for you to see that video come out, to be a part of that initiative and how these things not change our analysis. They don't cause us to say things are good when they're bad. They don't cause us to say players are good when they're not or a coach is doing well when he isn't. But they, I think they do allow you to just enjoy the relationship in a way where it doesn't rise and fall with every result. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that is fair. And the kit launch is the, the latest thing. Obviously, there have been various other adverts involving various players over the season. And it's all been about uh, Arsenal supporting the supporters. And they've really, what I've liked about it, and I, it's been how they've almost put themselves to the back and put the relevant businesses to the front, the relevant causes to the front. And through... The, the visuals and the mediums that we get that we can all see in our different platforms, we get to see these um, businesses, they're, and they're real people, right? They're real people that have suffered through the pandemic, and there, there are many of these communities that have really suffered recently. Obviously, we're going through cost of living crises, and a lot of these charitable run foundations have struggled through this period. So, you know, to sit there and just take all our money. From the from the burgers and the kits and which many of us are glad to give because we are hooked and this is what we do. Rather than just do that, they are thinking of a way to distribute it, and I think that's a really noble cause. Now, football's football, right? It doesn't mean that we got brilliant second uh, backup fullbacks, right? It doesn't mean anything like that. That doesn't change, and I can see that and. And if they have a bad game, I'm afraid uh, we're we're going to say so. Not just us, many other people, right? So that doesn't change. But I do think it does remind me that football club is a collection of people and a collection of memories. And without that, you have nothing. And it is sometimes bigger than the last result. So. 
Yeah, it, it is. And like, I, I think it's interesting because Tim, you and I did a Patreon episode yesterday and let's call it what it was. It was a bitch session at times. <laughs> We complained oh, yeah. about the Aubameyang stuff. We complained about things that went wrong this season. We complained about being three points off Champions League. Did the club do everything they could to get there? We got it off our chest. We, you know, we and 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 I'm sure there are people like cowards. Put that on the free feed. Like, okay, you'll <laughs> we're going to do a whole season post mortem after after the season because the season isn't technically done yet, folks. So I assure you, you get the unvarnished opinion. But you know, for you. Again, this is a season where you got to go back and be in the ground. And that has been a part of your life and your identity and who you are and how you connect with friends for you know decades, literally. Mm. And some of those people, I'm guessing, without Arsenal, you don't even see them. It's just they yeah. just vanish from your life. And so I'm curious, you know, as it because I will be going to my second game this season. You will be going to your second game this week. <laughs> um to the extent that that has been restored to your life, I'm wondering, do you think some of the just good feeling we keep hearing about around this season is just that people were able to see their friends again, go to their pubs again, go to the games again, be with their community again? And sure, there's Saka and Odegaard and Martinelli and um, and Tomiyasu and Ben White. I, I get it, right? I get all of it. But what you what this season made me realize, and what I'm sure it hit home even more for you, is that... If it's just the game, if it's just the results after 90 minutes of kicking the ball, it isn't the same thing. Yeah, 100%. And and all it, it's a confluence of all of those factors, right? It's a confluence of Arsenal clearing out some players that we perhaps don't like, bringing in some players that we do, a couple True. of academy stars. You know, the, t- the team and the results have gotten better this year, as, as difficult as that might be to believe or to say at the moment. You know, there's been a lot to be positive about. Um, but but the you know the kind of coming through. I mean the pandemic isn't over. Obviously, um, maybe it's endemic now. I don't know. Maybe we'll see that over the winter. But that that has definitely definitely been a factor. I think it's been a huge factor for me. I've, I've said um, online last week, like quite openly. Like I think I've said before, like you know sometimes I struggle with anxiety issues and things like that and just build up of stress and going to football has always been and I probably didn't really realize it until the pandemic has been a real release valve for me it always has mm. been just being able to have a few drinks talk shit with my friends call the referee a wanker at the top of my voice and attract absolutely no attention for doing so. You've had you know. a lot of opportunity for that this season. <laughs> yeah. So you're, that's great news. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and after the Newcastle game, you know, five or six of us just went, just went to the pub in Newcastle and we just sat there till like half past one in the morning. We talked about the game for about 10 minutes. And then after that, we just talked a load of crap about football and life and all of that. And by the time I got back to my hotel room, like I felt, not fine, but better, like a lot better. And and I really think personally last season, like in terms of stress and anxiety during that second lockdown, like I, I struggled quite a lot. And I really, really honestly think that not being able to go to football was a factor that I lost that outlet in my life. And I didn't realize how useful it was to me, I, I guess, therapeutically and mentally. And, and, and I think on the you know on the subject of connection i've been really lucky because i've probably had it three times because i've got it through family that's where the whole arsenal bug came from for me so i was in young um and then like you get a bit older and you start doing the away games and stuff like that and it becomes about your mates um a bit more than your family 
um, albeit they're all they're still there. My mum still goes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then like the big online boom happens, and not only that that expanded my friendship network, particularly that I go to away games with. When I think about the you know rotating cast, I guess of ten to fifteen people, I probably met half of them through Twitter. Like yeah. just relatively like-minded people, maybe of a similar age, started chatting on Twitter, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, mates for life kind of thing. But as well as that, beyond that, you know, people who don't go to games or, you know, wherever they live and plenty of them live in England and the south of England and they don't really go to games, but people I love talking to um, online about games and things like that. And this community we have here in the community through our blog and just the general Arsenal fandom on Twitter. Like it's, it's almost like, you know, I've been blessed like three or four times with all of that. And, you know, it means you live it a little bit more, maybe a bit more keenly. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was always living it keenly to be honest. It's just, I've got more people to experience it with. And, and this season has been my favorite probably since 11, 12, um, and, and the reason 11-12 resonates with me is honestly just because, again, like that was when like the really like the online friends I made became the friends that I went with. And like, you know, I literally met my wife that way <laughs> during that season. Like, like how, how, how much more real could that be than the fact that I met my wife talking online about Arsenal and now we have a child together. Like we've created, we've created life you know, mm-hmm. through this. And if she's interested in it, like we'll encourage her plenty. If she doesn't, if she doesn't want to know, she doesn't want to know, but you know, <laughs> we'll at least that Avenue will be available. And so yeah. potentially that goes on like again through another thread of like my family, which has been Arsenal for over a hundred years now. So, you know, that that's, that's incredibly precious. Um, and, and yeah, and this season I think has brought it home more than any other for myriad reasons. It's so funny, right? Because I have literally almost the opposite experience and the same experience in that I just got lucky. I had to do a little bit of work in London. One of the first games I watched was an Arsenal game. I decided that's going to be my team. And that was 22, you know, 23 years ago. And I didn't have it in my family and I didn't have people locally. And because of the online community, now I have this whole thing in my life that at a time in my life when your friendship groups usually shrink, and there's fewer things to be excited about, and you sort of plow a, a more regular furrow of your life, this whole new thing is, has blossomed up. So I, I don't want to get too deep here, too uh, sappy, but it, it is wonderful to to hear these stories and share these stories sometimes. And being in London obviously really makes it feel that much more relevant, but also just the point that like a lot of us are feeling really downtrodden about the football specifically. But in a way, this week has been a great chance for me to reflect on the fact that it's not just the final score after 90 minutes that makes this important to me. There's lots of sports I've watched in my life where I cared about the outcome and never been anything I cared about the way I care about Arsenal. And that can't just be because of the results of kicking a ball around. So I think that's you know worth pointing out. Now, if you're feeling downtrodden, spare a thought for Peter, who is a listener to this pod and a, a lifelong Arsenal fan and has been very close to the club and um, he suffered through the Newcastle result and then went away to the Europa League final with his uh, Rangers supporting family and suffered through that and had the missed penalty come from 
an Arsenal, can we say legend, Aaron Ramsey, which, by the way, a touching tribute from Ramsey to choke away Champions League for Rangers in the week we choked it away ourselves. So all things go around, come around, however you want to see it. And like, Clive, as it, you know, as we start to think about this Everton game and we're sort of hoping for a miracle and, you know, we kind of want to enjoy the end of the season, it is fair to be, I think, pretty despondent and downtrodden about how the season wrapped up. Like, I want to make no mistake about it. As many positives as I see in this season, and I see many, we blew it. We blew it. Like, it, that's not being negative. That's not hating our Ted or hating the players. That's not ignoring the injuries. We had it in our hands and we blew it. And that sucks. But we haven't totally, totally blown it. <laughs> and I just want to ask you, as unlikely as it is, in your head right now, are you opening up the door to hope for a miracle? Or do you think that is a dangerous place that you dare not allow yourself to go? No, I'm, I dare not allow myself to go there. My emotions have been... <laughs> Smart I gave myself to the club. <laughs> and I gave myself, I gave all my hope. And and through their performances and, and their lack of discipline and their lack of care and all the things they've done to me, they've rejected me. They didn't win a football match. Mm. And there's no way I'm going to allow myself to open myself up again. <laughs> On Sunday to make sure, you know, so they can do it again, right? It's just not going to happen. Hey, look, right, joking aside. Smart man. Well, 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 let me ask you this then. Oh, sorry, you were keeping... No, no, no. I wanted to follow up on that. No, no, you follow up, mate. You follow up. Well, so, so, I mean, if you dare not allow yourself to to hope, and I I dare not allow myself either, he says, hoping, um, (laughs) we're going to be in the Europa League. And to be fair, the Europa League is not just... European competition it is a European competition we certainly can win and it is a European competition that carries Champions League with it and so it gives us a second bite at the apple that we couldn't eat this season to torture the analogy a little more and it gives us more football to watch and more things to care about and more at stake and it gives us a chance to keep the squad involved maybe get some young players into the picture who might not otherwise have been in the picture but also keep those players that maybe fell out of contention at the tail end of this season in contention. But I always wonder what degree, the degree to which transfer plans are established ahead of time. Cause we know transfer plans are not established on June 1st. They're established well before that, but there are negotiations that go on and there are criteria that have to be met for some of these deals to come through. And I'm wondering with the presumption that we will not get Champions League football, whether you think it will have a material impact either on the players who are willing to join and will join based on our targets or the number of players or some combination thereof. What do you think the the knock-on effects of failing to qualify for Champions League might be in the summer? I don't think there'll be that much, if I'm honest with you. I think... Um I had, we had a chat earlier today, didn't we? I think if you look around Europe today, you look around the stability, financial stability of all the top five European leagues, the Premier League is is the golden goose, right? It's where all the money is, all the revenue is, all the global TV deals are. They're only going to increase. The world is watching. We're not saying we're dominating European competitions, but we're in the last eight and we're really there solidly. And uh, our coefficient's going up. Everything is pointing north. And if you're a player and you're playing in France and you're playing in Germany, 
you want to come here. And the, the basic reason why you want to come here, Elliot, is because you're going to get paid. You're going to get paid. You're going to sign a four-year contract. And your next move, even after that four-year contract, will still be of a high number based on the fact you've set a benchmark on your pay. So you're going to get paid. And why does that matter so much? I mean, this is something that I've learned in the recent years with my my family being involved in athletics. These guys, these footballers, they train all of their <laughs> life to get to this point where they are at the right physical and mental level to play at the very, very top end of the game, which we would all kill ourselves to, to even get near, right? They are the chosen very 0.1 of a percent, right? They are the chosen few. And when they get there, they have to maximise their earning potential for the for the window your body allows you to maximise it, right? So, and not only for themselves, but for their families and for their families' families. And so when you have a chance to do that at a club like Arsenal in the middle of London with the global reach that he has, trust me, I guarantee you, Arsenal have a list of names in their top drawer, which is far longer than the places in the squad they have to actually provide, to, to get them into the team. They have people coming at them left, right and centre to play for that football club at different ages, different potential. And their challenge is to pick the right ones based on data, information, eyes, scouting, etc., And what the coaches want based on how we want to play, how we want to improve, what attributes we want to improve. Is that going to be energy, physicality, technicality, whatever it may be. That's the challenge, bringing the right people in to define your footballing identity. So I don't worry about that. I never, I have to learn this. It took me a while to learn this, but I don't get fixated by certain names. And if they don't come, my life is over. Because I used to do that. <laughs> I used to do that all the time. And I've learned mm. that every now, as soon as I pick up my Twitter, a new name comes up. And sometimes I know them, sometimes I don't. And if I don't know them, I research them, and then I love them. Do you know what I mean? It can change just like that, just like that. So I just take a step back and don't see it as a negative, but see it as an opportunity. And the most important thing, and I will say this, the most important thing for a footballer when he comes in, is that club running in the right way? <coughs> is it operating in the right way? Do I see people improving? And where we were a couple of years ago, maybe that wasn't the case. And you only got to look at your, our comrades in Manchester United right now you would you would think before you went there unless the money was really really good because there are there are issues in the way that club is operating and I think we've gone past that so I'm a little bit more hopeful about our future recruitment. Yeah, and I mean let let's look at last summer. Take all the most expensive transfers, the most high profile players, the players you would have said, oh, you need Champions League to recruit that guy, or oh, you know, if only that was the kind of recruitment we could do. And almost all of them probably look like busts. There's just, there's absolutely no certainty in the market. Do I think overall, if you buy the more expensive players enough times, you're going to wind up doing pretty well? Probably, but it hasn't worked for United. But Lukaku, Jack Grealish, Jaden Sancho, would you say any of them have been total can I, successes? Yep. Can I add one thing to that? Just one little thing. Is it, is it, Let's take Tom Yasser, for example, right? We all love him, right? Mm. We all agree we all love him? Yeah. Yep. Say yes, mm. yes. <laughs> we all love him. I think he's magnificent. Magnificent footballer. One of my, uh, my signing of the season. If he cost 46 million compared to 16 million, would we be saying, well, he's injury prone. Why do we spend that money on him? Blah, blah, blah. 
I, I really do feel how people walk through the door and the price we pay for them does have an issue with, does make us analyze them slightly differently. You know, I look at our center in field of Thomas Party, he did cost 46 million. <laughs> and we'd all want to see more of him full stop because he's that good. And some people may be questioning that investment. And so I agree with you, Elliot. The big numbers, I, I almost don't want them because it stops us analysing players appropriately based on their talent and their abilities because we analyse them based on the expectations of the number associated to their name. Yeah, can I? Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, please, please can, add. Yep. Can I add on that? Just, um, I mean, I know like we wouldn't be going to this <laughs> level anyway, but the Second Captains podcast made a brilliant point a couple of months ago when they looked at the top 20 transfers of all time in terms of outlay and they were saying like look at those and how many of those do you think have been a success and honestly it's like three like maybe you can justify about five they are all shit like it, it's unreal how much like Pogba Joao Felix even Neymar to PSG yeah. like what has that done Fernando really? Torres I thought that was a Coutinho. nailed on home run Couldn't Coutinho to Barca Dembele <laughs> yeah. to Bar. I mean Griezmann to Bar. I mean Barca are, are responsible for a lot of it Hazard to Chelsea like oh. there's been a lot of money wasted at that kind of level um, over the last, well, yeah, over the last like 15, 20 years. Even Arsenal's record signings, when you look at them, um, I mean, our record signings, Pepe, and there's not, if you look at Arsenal's top five, maybe top eight kind of out, like the, the last time Arsenal broke their transfer record and it was a resounding success was Bergkamp. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's there's, there's you know, Reyes, rest his soul, didn't quite do it. Arshavin, Urzil, you can argue about either way. Like, I feel like Aubameyang was a resounding success pre-contract resign. Yeah, yeah, that, and you could probably say that about Urzil yeah. as well. But like Alexis, yeah. did he break our transfer? No, Ozil not quite. Really. But he's in there. But then you've got Xhaka, Mustafi, like. There, there's some there's some dodgy transfers in there. So well, I'm, Nicola I'm, Pepe is the is the, the the quintessential example. He's probably the yeah. signing I've been most excited for in years. And we've I don't want to I don't want to downplay what he's done because he's probably done more than we pretend he has. But he's nowhere near the value. And now Tim, people are talking about we're going to lose forty million on him. And I'm doing the math and I'm like, someone's going to pay thirty two million yeah. pounds for Nicola Pepe. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think it was uh, Flanny Balls on Twitter who um, who was kind of doing the maths and saying like a, a, like the book. Uh, like something like um because of like obviously um amortization and stuff like that basically arsenal would have to sell him for about 20 million or so yeah for it to be like an accounting profit i mean yeah. that still strikes me as as, yeah. as like a real stretch but it's not going to be obviously on the books it's not going to be quite it's going to be a loss of course it is i'm sure but like perhaps everyone's going to paint it as like oh it was 72 million and we've got like i don't know 10 million for him and it's yeah. it's it's not going to be like the accounting loss that it will, that it will look like. Yeah. Um, well, Tim, I mean, do do you, do you think that a club like Arsenal still has enough pull enough resources and is still in a good enough position with a project that whatever we think of how it finished should look pretty attractive. I, th- mm-hmm. I think, I mean, you know, that, that depends, right? Cause some players might think, well, it's attractive is going and playing with other stars, not playing with 20 year olds. I, you know, I, I can't put my mind in the head of, of a professional footballer. Um, although I might like to put myself in the life of a professional footballer, but like, um, 
do you get the feeling? I tend to agree with Clive, which is that there's enough talent out there um, in the kind of range and from the kind of clubs where we can quite easily attract them. Mm-hmm. And if I look at, gosh, we bring up Liverpool for this so much, but how can you not when a club that was in the position we find ourselves in now is now going for the quad? Like whether it was Salah from Roma or um, uh, Mane from Southampton, right? Virgil van Dyke. I mean, any of the, the core signings that built their their project from, you know, none of them were players that wouldn't have happily jumped to Liverpool for Premier League football, step up the table and, and extra money. So we should still... I mean, we should still be able to get yeah. plenty of of exciting talent if we have if we have enough uh, imagination about the market. A hundred percent, yeah. And and the reason we talk about Liverpool so much is not just because their funding model is probably broadly similar to ours, but they've come from a similar position. They were like a fallen giant. They were finishing seventh and eighth. You know, in Klopp's first season, were they were they eighth in the first? Se- like, I I appreciate it wasn't a full in his season. half season. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Like they they've been there. They've been out. If you look from like um, the early nineties until like like even the period where because Liverpool won the Champions League in two thousand five, got to the final in two thousand seven. Even you look through that period, they're not in the Champions League that often. They were out of it more than they were in it. It wasn't until Klopp came that they started being like an annual fixture in it again. So like the the reason we cite Liverpool is not just because the fact that they're not funded by a nation state, like some of our other rivals, it's because they've been where we are and have been. Like I, I I think definitely if we have enough imagination, it it shouldn't be an issue. Of course, like the, the issue we've really got is that we're no longer the only show in London like we once were. So like, you know Chelsea unfortunately they've been they've been there for a generation now so like Chelsea aren't like the for for guys who are like 20 to 25 Chelsea have just always been there as as far as they're concerned like they're not old and decrepit like us and like remember when Chelsea were in the second division and mid table yeah. and all of that they've they've been there long enough and like Spurs have got the new stadium and everything so that that's like the strata of competition I perhaps worry about but yeah like absolutely like the only thing I think it might impact Elliot and and it could be significant is the striker because the striker for me like the starting striker that's like the star piece we're looking to add and and frankly it might cost us a Gabriel Jesus assuming that's really serious yeah, sure. Because because sometimes I think whether or not you can get your target is is not necessarily about whether you're in the Champions League or you're in this year and that. It's it's very closely tied to what that player's options look like and what the market for him looks like. Yeah, and yeah. Here's what I kind of thought about because I was like, this could cost us Gabriel Jesus. But then I was thinking, right, like any club that could gazump us for Gabriel Jesus would have been able to gazump us even with Champions League, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and they're all in the Premier like, League. They're, exactly. A Chelsea, a United, who doesn't have it anyway, by the way, a a Liverpool, none of them are going to be in for him. They don't need him. No, or, or not the Spurs. Real Madrid, they're getting Mbappe. PSG, I mean, you know. I don't think they're going to, no. I, maybe, but if they wanted him, I don't think we, we have a say in that competition. No, no, no. It's no. Juventus, they got Vlaovic. So I guess what I'm trying, and it's Bayern Munich, and they, they're not going for him. So like, I guess what I'm trying to say, Tim, is like, we may we have this attitude sort of like, well, without Champions League, it's going to change things. But I kind of view it like there's a cluster of clubs 
that we can't compete with for players. And if a player wants to go there and they want him, there's not much we can do. No. And then we're the very next team, right? So yeah, yeah. I don't I don't see this changing much in terms of if we wanted a player and those other clubs didn't want him, we should be fine. I, I, yeah, I yeah. <laughs> what, what it, the reason it might cost us is just the the number we'd be able to go to or be prepared to go to. Like if you've got an extra 30 million worth of revenue coming in, next season then you know like the reports at the moment i I don't know how seriously i take them and and by that i don't mean because it's james ollie's reporting that city have asked for 55 million i don't question the veracity of his reporting i just question whether that's a bit of a negotiation tactic or whatever or how true that is or how much arsenal can just go we're not paying that um here's like 40 million he'll just go into his last season then i mean so many players are opting to do that and then yeah, get their yeah. get their Bozeman, you know. Yeah, I I don't think he will. I I I do think he'll look to move on. He wants his place back in the Brazil squad. That that like for Brazilians, sorry, that's more important than club football. Whether you like it or not, the national team means more to them. Um, so I like it if it gets us the player. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it's 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 one of those where it just might impact the negotiation a bit because maybe with the extra revenue we can you know i don't think we should go to 55 million anyway for someone with one year on their contract but you know you might say oh well 45 all right that's five million more than we want to but we've got you know we've got champions league so maybe we can afford to do that i think that's the only bit in my impact that like the other players i think we're likely to look at i i agree with clive I, i don't actually think it will make an enormous difference to be honest. And, you know, the way you can sell it is we might be able to win the Europa League, you know? Yeah. And that, that in itself should be a carrot, I think. Yeah. And by the way, like, why not just go to city and say, we'll take him for 35 or we won't take him. If he's going to push to say, I'm not playing into my last year, my deal when I have no path to playing time anymore, then like, you know, with Holland coming in or whatever, then what option they have is Lester going to buy him. Is he going to go to, to Ren, you know what I mean? Like he's, where's he, he going to go? Sevilla? Like he, he just has to tap on their door, city's door and say, look, I want to go to Arsenal. I've agreed personal terms. And, it's done. Yeah, and the it's only done. place I want to go is Arsenal. So you, you, you better let me go. Otherwise I'm a depreciating asset and I'll walk out the door next year. Now city don't really care and about don't the care money. About money. <laughs> they don't care about money, but Gabriel Jesus and many other players do care about the world cup. So if you're a player mm-hmm. that wants to play in the world cup, I promise you, You'll be not hanging around to the last day of the transfer window. You want to be out of the club, on the pre-season camps, in the team, know your role, and playing. Watch a transfer window this year. It'll be a lot sharper than previous years because people have international careers to protect and maintain, and they need to be analysing the best club for them to make sure they can play football. And so you'll be reading lots of stories about saying, I will go there... But I want to go there knowing I will be guaranteed playing time and minutes because they don't want to jeopardise the World Cup. I've heard that from Cody Gakpo as well. There's two things in our favour. We are sitting there with the foundations already laid with the young players we bought last year. We have done some housekeeping. at the, Some people will say at the cost of the Champions League, but we've done our housekeeping. We now need to add quality on top of the quantity we bought last year and lift some youth quantity up into the overall squad. So if we're buying a quality player, we are playing him. There is no messing about. If that quality player goes Mm. to Liverpool, he doesn't know he's going to play. 
He does not know. And those players are not going to take that risk in World Cup year. So that's why I think the slight difference is going to be. And the last difference mention I will make is the five subs rules changes so much. It really creates playing opportunities for people. I'm watching these European games with five subs and I'm loving them. So many more people are playing. People are getting minutes. They're feeling included. So you can encourage people into your squad knowing that, you know, 14, 15 players are going to play every single game. But that encourages you to take that risk to come and play for us. So, Yeah. It is so interesting thinking about next season with five subs and back in the Europa League and a break for the World Cup. Like it's, it's going to be a very unique season for managers um, to try to handle it. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out a hypothetical for you, and I'll give you both a whack at this. Clive, I'll, I'll start with you just for a second. I say to you I want Arsenal to be a, a favorite for top four next season. I want them to go into next season with people saying that that team is one of the favorites. I believe in order for that to happen, this is me speaking now, we would have to buy two starting quality forwards, at least one of which could be a regular striker, two midfielders, one fullback, and one center back, and unless the center back is Saliba coming in. And without those additions, we are an outsider for top four. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I, I would agree. I would say agree-ish. I would say we definitely need a starting, <laughs> uh, a starting forward or two, and I think the second forward is a bit more versatile, right? So one central, one central and wide. I would like to see yes. one starting centre mid, if not two midfielders per se. Um, one first eleven, maybe one. Uh, a sort of attacking midfield uh, second backup, shall we say. And I would like to see a all-court right-sided defender, a two-footed um, creative player that uh, that well, I think could do a, a good job there. And I also think Saliba coming in, Saliba offers a role, not just a centre-back, but as a right-back as well. So I... I I'm sort of happy with our left side, not everyone is, but I think I would like to see a right-sided fullback come in so that we can not break Tomiyasu's legs because obviously we've seen that doesn't yeah. really work for us. And like it looks like we may be going for a left-back, which I think you can guess what that means for... No, I'm not sure if that's Nuno's true, actually, future. Elliot. I'm not sure oh, if that's yeah, true. Oh, yeah, they were saying it's breaking down. Or, it's not. Yeah, it's yeah, not. Yeah, I, I, it's yeah. not true. It's the a hickey, story that's come hickey. out, and people jumped on it when Nuno throws one into and does a foul throw people say that's it it's over but I'm not sure that's true new no one will be interested to see what happens there I I, I, the I feel differently I feel differently to other people yeah I feel differently Tim I want you to agree or disagree and explain why uh, if possible with my my hypothesis and then I want to ask you about one player in particular but do you think two forwards of a starting caliber one of whom's a striker two midfielders one defender could be Saliba and a fullback to be considered legitimately one of the front runners for a top four place next season. I, I think that's broadly right. Yeah, I, 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 I think it may end up being one midfielder, but if that midfielder was started, like if that midfielder was, I'm coming for Xhaka's place and not 
I'm going to slot into El Nene's place. <laughs> I think that would be a very important distinction, and maybe the pecking order rearranges itself a little. It bit. has to be that if it's only one, it has to. Be. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. We can't just say, "Well, El Nene's going," so we're, you know, maybe I don't know, maybe El Nene signs a contract, and we get an other who pushes Jacker. I don't know, but I, yeah, I, I broadly agree. I, d- I definitely think um, a fullback, I'd really like a fullback that can play both sides, which is why I quite liked the link uh, to Hickey. I think that's a, that's a pretty efficient thing to do, like particularly if we want to buy like a good fullback because we suspect that Tierney might miss a third of the season again. And to be fair, Tommy Asu's missed about half the season as well. We, we don't know yet whether that's going to be an ongoing issue with the player or just a one season thing um but I, I i like the idea of someone who can play both and to be fair Tavares can play both and we haven't really explored the right back option with him um so far but i, I think that's kind of because i guess we want different things don't we from the right back and the left back so we need maybe, him to stand maybe, still maybe a little bit on occasions yeah. him that'd be nice so uh i said to replace yeah. him works for me mate from honest with you yeah like Look, not not to not to get scapegoaty and things like that, but like honestly, I think if if Cedric left, where would he go? Like, I think he'd be looking either at a Norwich Watford level team or maybe even top of the championship. Like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't Portugal? think Portugal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if he stayed in England, I think that's what you'd be looking at. That that to me, he's not a Premier League quality player, um, and I. Th- think he's maybe the only player in our squad I'd say that about um so that like like definitely something there um and not least because we're going to lose Maitland Niles right and look we haven't really had Maitland Niles for a little while so that doesn't feel like a miss but that an, an engaged Maitland Niles would have been really nice to have the last couple of seasons just to slot in at right back, left back, central midfield. We've needed something in all of those positions on a short term basis. And, and I get it. He's like 24. He doesn't want to do that anymore. I'm like, I, I don't really have a big problem with that, but that that's still, I think a pretty significant squad member to lose. And I, th- I think we felt that this year, particularly with a small squad. If you're going to go with a small squad, having players that can play several different roles is fundamental. Um, and actually, I think the same is true as if you have a big squad, having like players, if you're talking about keeping players involved, that's that's why I talked myself out a bit, of it a bit, I guess. But that's why I like the idea of having someone who can play right back and left back, because then that player is involved more often because they're in when the right back or the left back is injured. Yeah. And and that's I was, I was having this discussion um yesterday actually about Emma Hayes at Chelsea right uh, Chelsea women I, I I think vastly overrated as a coach right I think a lot of people who are only casual observers of women's football assume that Chelsea you know, is successful Tim can I say something I actually it. agree with you and I've never heard anyone say that out loud <laughs> so I'm like it's, going yes <laughs> so absolutely agree it, it's because you get chased out of the club if you say anything bad about Emma Hayes but, but finally a hot take that I am b- both not espousing and have no ability to contribute to because I don't know no. enough to say anything. So I feel very but, safe right now. So so the thing is, a lot of casual observers think that Chelsea women are successful because of her and not the fact that they spend more money than anyone else and have more talent. But one thing she is really good at or has been really good at is that median level Chelsea players and not the stars like Sam Kerr, Penilla Harder, whatever – 
the the like mid level players like Erin Cuthbert and Eve Charles, she's found several different roles for them and remolded them a bit. So they've got a player called Erin Cuthbert, and she plays right wing back sometimes, sometimes right back, sometimes central midfield. Like she's got three different roles there, and so she's always involved in the team, even though you might actually call her a squad player. And that that's one thing that she's yeah. good at managing a big squad, and it's because she's been able to retrain players in different positions so that they're more involved more often and and i think that would be a really interesting development for arteta i think versatility is the key i totally agree with you tim and the the sad thing about ainsley is he did not embrace the very thing that is his gift which is ability to play left back right back left wing back right wing back center midfield as an eight holding midfield he even played number 10 for England. I mean, played right wing as an attacker. I mean, that's your gift. And you've ran away from it. He has left so many minutes on the table since January. Minutes, I think, would have been crucial for us. You know, we've all got our regrets, right? We've yeah. all got our blame index. We could go We're back to Aubameyang. We can, but that one, to me, really disappoints me. Because he's, he was one of ours and his head was turned away maybe felt mistreated. Whatever the backstory is, I can only look at the football and see the deficiencies that we've had. And I think, mate, you could have really helped out. And I feel sad by that. Whatever the reasons for how it manifested, I feel sad for that. I have to admit, though, I, I struggle to understand how we wind up in situations where certain players no longer have any affection from the fan base and other players were were like, oh, yeah, resign him. I, look, Mohamed Elneny clearly cares about Arsenal. He seems like a great guy and a hard worker. He's a few hundred minutes a season type guy. We know his limitations. He's never really been in the first team plan. We loaned him out of the club at 27 years old. You don't do that if you think someone's part of the first team plan. People are like, give him a new contract. Eddie Nketiah. We never really prioritized finding room for him. He's an Arsenal boy. He, he, he came through the academy. Absolutely love him. People ready to give him a new contract on the back of two braces, two two goal games during this running. Okay, I, I get it. Meanwhile, there's this guy, Hector Bellerin, who we played into the effing ground, tore his body to pieces at a young age, played him 3,000. You think we're putting minutes into Saka? Go look at the minutes we put into Bellerin. And he went through a rough spell when he came back from that knee injury. And he wasn't himself. Always been a wonderful Arsenal guy. People couldn't wait for him to leave. He's gone away. He's had a good spell. Why Why can't he come back and and be an option behind Tomiyasu? A guy who's good on the ball, a guy who can attack, who can overlap. He's never going to be the beller and he was, but who's going to come in and say, I'd like to be Tomiyasu's backup? I'd take an Arsenal man. I'd take someone that I've seen be elite at times. You know, I mean, it, and again, I'm not saying that's the solution. I just think it's interesting how the zeitgeist becomes such that certain players are suddenly players we're happy to give a contract to and other players are players we can't wait to hound out of the club. And I sometimes think it has to do with where their expectations started, right? We saw Elneny as very mid. And then he came in during this heady run and, and almost got us there. And so we went from being mid to maybe he's good. Whereas Bellerin was like our young hero. We don't sell him to Barcelona, keep him forever. And then he became less and it was the decline from the expectation that changed that perception. So I think it's interesting. Um, and, and like, look, expectations are important. 
how you react to the things you care about are important. And like one of the ways you can set good expectations is by is through preparation. And the best kind of preparation is shaving your privates. It's the best preparation to set the right expectation. I have to tell you, I have been manscaping like crazy in advance of this Union Chapel event. Um, Andrew hasn't told me yet if we're planning on dropping our drawers on stage. I'm not saying we should. I'm just saying I'm ready. And I'm ready because I use the product from Manscaped. And I think if you find yourself in front of a thousand people in a live event where you have to drop your drawers, how embarrassing would it be if you're like, I forgot to go to Manscaped and get their wonderful products. And by the way, Father's Day is around the corner in the U.S. And as a father myself, I can tell you, I may not have two children if I didn't Manscaped because my wife may not have wanted to participate in the kinds of events that make children come into, into being. This is getting weirder than usual. I'm extremely jet lagged. It's no dad joke. Do this. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and women, come on, who trust Manscaped with the exclusive offer. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code ArsenalVision at manscaped.com. You get the lawnmower 4.0. It's wet, dry, long battery life, induction charging. It's got an LED light so you can see what you're cutting. It's designed to work on loose skin so it doesn't cut the skin. It cuts the hair, which I can tell you, uh, important on most parts of your body and very important in those parts of your body unless you're trying to do like an at-home vasectomy. And I don't recommend it because it's a painless and easy procedure. So, you know, just a little medical advice there. Um, you can also get the Weed Whacker. So the Weed Whacker's been a really important product for me. I just celebrated a birthday and I am now redacted years old. And that means nose hair and ears hair is a consideration. You need the weed whacker. You've got the ball deodorant, the the, the toner, the boxer briefs, the travel bag, which I use to travel to come here. Get it all as part of the performance package 4.0 and get it with 20% off free worldwide shipping with promo code ArsenalVision at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free worldwide shipping at manscaped.com. Use promo code ArsenalVision. Shake what your mama gave you. Nah, shake what your daddy gave you. Because that's a Father's Day joke. It's in the it's in the text. I'm just reading what's here. I just read what's on the teleprompter. I will literally read anything that's in the teleprompter. Now, the one thing I will also literally do is take Athletic Greens AG1 every single day. Um, for the video, I should I should have run and grabbed the lawnmower and grabbed my AG1. I have my travel pack with me. You know why? Because I took advantage of going to athleticgreens.com slash vision. And I got the five free travel packs and the one year supply of vitamin D. And that means I'm using my athletic greens while I'm here in London. And what is it? Well, basically you can clear that whole shelf off of all the garbage you take because it's 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens for energy, recovery, focus, anti-aging. And because it's food derived, your body actually uses it instead of just Peeing it out. Let's just say it. That's what normally happens. By the way, if you're keto, if you're paleo, if you're vegan, if you're dairy-free or gluten-free, it's friendly to all those lifestyles. One less than a gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals. It's less than the price of a, um, a fancy coffee every day or a fancy tea. Your mileage may vary there. Has over 7,000 five-star reviews. And uh, in 2020, they donated 1.2 million meals to kids through the No Kids Hungry program, which they support. So, you got to do this right now. It's one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs. I am down to four free travel packs now. With your first purchase, all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash vision. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash vision to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. 
And the ultimate insurance for your business is Indeed. That's right. Indeed is the number one hiring partner because you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. With Indeed, you can use their powerful tools like Instant Match. And with Instant Match, you can, like, Ask candidates to apply to your job. Think of how revolutionary that is because instead of them being like, I don't know what job to apply to, which of these companies is right for me? You'd be like, wow, this company is showing me the love. They show you the love. When two people love each other, well, that's when the Manscaped stuff comes into play. But anyway, so with Indeed, you can use Instant Match. And here's the best part. You only pay for qualified candidates that meet your must-have requirements. And again, I think that should be introduced into the transfer window. Indeed is the number one rated job site in the world. It gets more hires than all job sites in the world combined all you got to do is go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. It's that easy. Uh, Indeed.com slash BlueWire. And, uh, you know, I, I will just say as we're getting ready to wrap up here that I have gone through the job process in the not-too-distant past. And, like, for me, going on a million different job sites, like, it just doesn't work. So go now. Start hiring right now. You'll get a $75 sponsored job credit with Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Indeed. Very much. So that's three sponsors today. I hope you don't mind, everybody. But um, I didn't do my job earlier this week, and I missed one of the sponsors, and so we had to make up the love for them today. But let's finish today's conversation with a question about, about balancing viewpoints, Tim. Balancing viewpoints is hard because- I am against. Okay, uh, pick a pick a position. I'll take the opposite position. We'll <laughs> yell at each other. Um, there was a, there was a back when was it when John Stewart hosted the Daily Show? I can't remember, but there was a thing where he had a, a guy who came on. It may have been Stephen Colbert, even where it was like, um, or there were two guests. I, I can't remember who the people were, but they're like they were trying to make fun of debate shows, and they were like. Stephen and John will now debate the issue. Stephen is for it and John is against it. And he's like, do you think this thing should exist? And all they did was scream back and forth, yes, no, <laughs> yes, no. And like sometimes, all kidding aside, I do feel that there's a little of that that goes on when we talk about Arsenal because let's be clear, if you are determined to be miserable about this Arsenal season, you will get no argument from me on certain points. I can tell you very specifically what we did wrong this season and it's not hard to see it. And if you are determined to be happy about this season, which is also totally fine, I can absolutely provide for you the roll call of the positive things that happened this season. And I think, unfortunately, what what I find winds up happening, Tim, I don't know if this happens to you, is if you mention those negatives, then you're just sort of doomy and miserable and you're click hunting or whatever the case may be. And if you mention the positives, then you're... Um, you know, you're a mouthpiece for the club or you're accepting mediocrity. And I wonder how you cope, because I think you and I are somewhat alike in this respect. We're not prepared to just say this was a great season. We're not prepared to just say this was a success, an unqualified success, that you do have to look at context, where we were in January, where we were 11 games ago, where we were six games ago, and how we finished and say it's not good enough. But I still do see the positive. So do you find it difficult in a time of extreme polarization, especially online, to balance your viewpoints, to arrive at a mixed conclusion? Mm. And are you frustrated by the fact that people often will not really allow for that, that they feel you must have a conclusive view one way or the other? 
So yeah, some sometimes uh, just in my own head, yeah, like sometimes you go around in circles a bit, don't you? And you think, and sometimes you just plain don't have a strong opinion about something that maybe other people do, and sometimes sometimes you do, and other people don't, and you know, and 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 yeah, like there are plenty of times I think mm, I don't really know what I think of this to be honest, and I'm going in circles a bit. But as as to like the the reaction, I guess of of others to that 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 doesn't really figure in my thinking um that's good <laughs> in nowadays and i think it's you know going back to what we we're talking about at the beginning about having that kind of digital community uh, like i think i've kept my digital community relatively tight in terms of the people that i really listen to um and the, the you know the sort of people i, I think yeah, I actually like yeah that that's made me think about things in a different way um and and also like I don't know I've been writing about Arsenal on the internet for so long now that I I think it's like necessarily you have to it, it, again you have to hit a balance right because like one of the gifts of it is you learn so much from people and you learn so much from people that disagree with you generally right that that's where you your thinking changes and things like that um, so you you can't be blind to that whatsoever. Um, but at the same time, like, I think I can generally spot the kind of, um, you know, those people like, um, uh, should we say politically speaking, who will just vote for a certain party, no matter what they say, no matter what they do, you know, you put like a pile of vomit in a certain color rosette and they'll vote for them because there's no critical thinking or engagement with anything. And, and, you know, you, you get that a little bit with football as well. You get, you get those people who are just determined to be miserable. Those people who are determined to paint everyone else as miserable and say, you know, you should all be happy. Like generally the people who tell other people what to do and how to think, like generally are to be ignored <laughs> to be honest. So like, I guess I've learned to filter them um, a little bit and listen to, uh, you know, like critical friends, constructive kind of things, but I'm, I'm not going to pretend it like I was able to do that instantly. That I think that took me quite a long time to be able to see the wood for the trees. Like it, it, it yeah. took quite a few years and I probably did go backwards and forwards and flip flop on certain things. And, and, I, and I think I have it a bit clearer now, but, but generally speaking, like what, you know, the, the consensus is and whatnot, that, that doesn't bother me as much as it used to. It used to, I'll be honest, yeah. um, but now I, it just doesn't. I can tell you two of the lowest moments I've had podcasting were the the first Emery podcast we did where you and I were sort of down on him and didn't want him when he had just signed. And the Thomas Party podcast where we presented some of the potentially questionable aspects to that transfer. And it was really eye-opening for me in a way because all I was saying is what I honestly believed. People yeah, yeah. didn't like it. And I guess what I would say is that is the goal to be right? Is the goal to be liked? Mm. Or is the goal to be The goal is as to be honest. honest as, uh, yeah, to be honest, because because none of us are right, right? Everyone's right in hindsight. I mean, God, I nailed it with the Obamiang re-signing. I was wrong about tons of other shit. Like, if the goal is to be right, that seems pointless. Because if your only mm. goal is to be right, then you know what you should be as a betting podcast. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's what you should be. Um, but Clive, I mean, this this is the key, is that I 
you know, when I'm saying positive things about this season, I can already hear the voices or the digital voices in my head of the people who are going to come at me and say that was a terrible podcast. And when I'm being critical, I can hear, I, I know who the, the, the people are who are going to come and say the opposite. And, and I think the reason I find this difficult is if there was a slider, if you could visualize a slider and all the way to one side of the slider is positive and all the way to the other side of the slider is negative, my slider isn't all the way either way on this season. I do still find it slightly into the positive end, and I can articulate why that is. But the reason it's not further over there is because I can identify the very clear misses the club had. So how do you balance trying to honestly assess the very clear missteps that may have held us back from hitting a goal we may not have expected, again, balancing that against what I think are very fair and clear positives to this season that are easy to miss when we're all experiencing the frustration of of not quite getting to our ultimate goal. Well, firstly, I, I don't feel the pressure of fitting into any particular bucket, right? And whether this, that, and the other, because that, I think that's so restrictive. It closes your mind down to information, and that's not what I'm about. I'm, I'm about having as many inputs as possible that can add to... The feelings that I have. So, whether, you know, I tend to look at football in a more emotional way, a more tactical way, a more people way. And so, to do that, I need to get close to the game, learn about the game. And so, I can have a view that way. But also, my mind has been opened up to data. And I think I need that. I need that data just to calm me because I can get a little bit emotional about certain things. And I need to balance my thought process. So, it's very important that you're authentic and true to yourself and you're always open to knowledge and open to learning. I always say this, I've learned more in the last three years than I did in the previous 15 about the game. Right? And, and I hope that continues. The only way that continues is if I'm open to learning, I'm open to information. And so many people out there are just not. They start from a position and they wait until that position is justified. If you don't like Emery, eventually you will be right because he will go. If you don't like Arteta, eventually you'll be right because he will go. You know, much like most of the players, it will come round to you. So if you want to have that position, you're missing so much of the journey, in my opinion. And the journey is it. I've said it before, Elliot, you never arrive. If we'd have won these Champions League games or in the Champions League, we still wouldn't have arrived. We'd still be looking for the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And that's what tends to happen. So I don't feel the pressure to sit in a particular bucket. I don't feel the pressure of certain feedbacks that um, that we can get that we should shape things a certain way. I feel the pressure to be authentic about what I'm talking about and know it is informed. One of the reasons why we got a bit of stick for the party podcast was we said some things and they weren't informed, right? And much like Emery hadn't started yet, we didn't have all of the information. So people said, give them a chance. That's what they said. Now, you may have had a hunch and you were feelings and you shared them, but people critiqued us because of the lack of informed, because nothing had happened yet. Do you know what I mean? And I think that was where we got some critique. And so what? We shouldn't even be talking about it. We've done 500 of these things. Do you know what I mean? Where we got absolutely loads right. And that's why our audience is massively growing, right? But it's not about being right. It's about being true to ourselves, making sure we're open to to information and each other's point of views and can articulate our point of view from a position of information and from a position of thought and that we're trying to get other people to think about the game in a slightly different way, not tell them how to think about the game in a slightly different way. I think that's the key thing for me and 
that's what I do it for, for sure anyway. Yeah, and, and I think the most important thing is that you're open to having your ideas changed by better information. <sighs> Absolutely. That is the most important thing. Um because th there is a dragging culture on the internet, right? Like there's a whole Twitter account called like freezing takes exposed or old takes exposed or whatever, where it's like, haha, you were wrong about this thing. And like, everybody's wrong about everything all the time, constantly, yeah. right? If you weren't, you'd be a billionaire from the stock market. You'd be a billionaire from the betting markets. You'd be a billionaire from, you know, uh, inventing all the best businesses before they started. You'd, you know, you'd be, you'd, you'd be ahead of all of the stuff. But the best thing you can do is update your thinking as better information becomes available. And I don't want to make this too much of a inside baseball type thing is the expression we use in the States of like, you know, going behind the scenes of how takes are for like who, who the hell cares. But the reason I think it's relevant, Tim, is criticizing things or having critical opinions about things is not being negative. It's observing mistakes or errors or issues with the idea that those things need to be improved and celebrating or praising or identifying positive things is not being a cheerleader. It's identifying things that are a cause to be potentially optimistic about how things are going forward or successes that are developing. So like for me, I can say the type of football we played from December to April to me, is a clear sign that Arsenal have a way of playing that I think can be successful. And if you look at all the data over that period, Arsenal were performing at roughly almost a title-ish level, but clearly a top four level from underlying metrics. There were times in the season when we did not. Some of that is injuries. Some of those injuries are down to what I believe are squad building errors and squad usage errors. Mm -hmm. So those are areas where I can be critical and say, why did that excellent performance drop off? Well, Maybe we made an error on Aubameyang, or maybe we made an error on January being passive in January. Maybe we made an error not keeping Pepe engaged or not keeping Sammy engaged. So I, I think the idea here is to be able to look at a season that is difficult. And, and I think, Tim, what really struck me is the reason this season is so hard is it was so streaky. Hmm. And so at times we thought we were the best thing in the world, and at times we felt like utter dog shit. And unfortunately, yeah. the last streak is the dog shit streak. Yeah, yeah. And much like every season, the last thing that happens is how you feel. So like the funny thing is Arteta's first season, Tim, was his first half season was dreadful. We were dreadful under Emery. And oh, by the way, we were sort of dreadful under Arteta. We got knocked out in the last 16 of the Europa League by Olympiacos. But we won the FA Cup over City in the semi and Chelsea in the final. And that was the lasting memory. No, by the way, with no fans there. And so it was an ebullient summer of make him manager, keep him forever. You know, the Ole thing, right? Like put the contract on the table and let him <laughs> fill in the numbers. Um, so do, do you think the streakiness of the season makes it hard to evaluate in, in some respects, because there are bull and bear cases that if you focus in on those segments are very, very compelling. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I do think the trend line, you know, since like December 2020 has generally been pretty good. Um, you Fair. know, if, if you take, obviously, like we're talking arbitrary points, right? But if you take like December 2020 and you accept 
that that was a, a bit of a turnaround. And and by the way, it was a turnaround from like a self-inflicted wound because we decided kind of to not have – we decided to play with this, this experiment of not having an attacking midfielder um, for six months and it was predictably very, very poor because it's a very, very key position. Um, Just wait till you hear about not having a strike. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, the, I think the trend line since then is, that, like, of course, absolutely, that the streakiness um, definitely, definitely comes into it. You know, as to the first part of the question about um, whether, like, you know, um, kind of trying to do that constructive criticism stuff, that is only what the club will be doing. Like, what do people think that Mikel Arteta and Edu and etc.? What do you think they're going to talk about on Monday? Like, their holidays? barbecues i don't know edu might he might you know he knows how to put on a good barbecue but like what are they going to do they're going to sit there they're going to review the season and i'm sure like they they will be brutal like they will have to be like necessarily if you win the league you should be brutal with yourself and say this is where we got things wrong and here's where we've got an opportunity to change them it is only what the club will be doing and absolutely should be doing themselves like they they will they will post mortem all of this they will post mortem the hell out of it they'll be doing it already that's why you buy footballers in the transfer window what's it about it. it's about it's about churn it's about right these guys aren't going to get us where they're going where we want to go see you later we're going to get some guys in who we think can there are some contracts ending they're ending because we're kind of letting them end um, see you later. We'll get some more. Like that—that's why it happens. Otherwise, you'd never buy anyone. <laughs> you, mm. We'd we'd still be sat here with the invincible squad. And to be fair, you know, maybe they'd get us in the top four, all in their forties and fifties. Uh, we don't know. But I mean, there's there's a, there's a chance. Let's be honest. Because <laughs> you know, even even that season, right? Like we won we won the league by what eleven points in two thousand four, two thousand five, ten points behind. Um, at the end, you know that's how like that's how things can change. That's how things can flip on you, and so you've got to keep update. And that, and that's why guys like City and Liverpool, why they're staying at the top because they keep making those necessary additions. Like City are about to win the league, and they're adding Erling Haaland, right? That's what we're up against. So it would be fucking absurd. Yeah, it would be absurd. Like even absent that which is like obviously a level we can't live with but like even absent that it would be absolutely absurd for a football team or any organization not to think what did we do wrong and how did we improve it and yes of course part of that is celebrating your success as well because you, you don't just celebrate your success to make yourself feel nice although that's a that's a perfectly good reason to do it it's to say okay we did that right Let's do more of that. Why did that go right? What was the process behind? What was the process behind t- signing Tommy Asu that made that such a good signing? Can we replicate that? Can we do that again? He, like he didn't cost the earth, right? We didn't have Europe, not a problem. We were able to do that deal. Like, what? What, what are the learnings there? Like, you, that, that is just absolutely what happens, and and obviously it happens with a cool head. And, you know, look, the club have more information when they do that kind of stuff than we do. But that's that's all it is. That's all it is. Like, it's not, it, it doesn't have to be like throwing knives at anyone or, or you know, shooting arrows at them. Um, mm. It might be a bit, to be honest. Like, there, there is that element to it. And as a fan, you have the right to be emotional about things as well. 
Um, and, and or the right to just be analytical, critical in your analysis, yeah, right? If yeah, it yeah. was warranted. Like, yeah, exactly. Like you, you can say, yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be emotional. You can say, objectively speaking, I thought um, giving away Chambers and Maitland-Niles for free in January was a bad idea at the time, and I think it's cost us. But like perfectly, perfectly acceptable thing to yeah. think and logical thing to think. That's not necessarily emotional. But not, again, you don't always have to ab- – completely absence emotion like uh, when you make decisions like emotion it's one of those things like i i, I absolutely love that this saying and i can't remember it was a philosopher i can't remember which one it, it was but it said he said um it's with our instincts as it is with the elements they make good servants but bad masters so obviously mm. like water you need running water in your home but what you don't want is to flood it with it's water. A tidal wave, yeah. <laughs> you, you need you need you need heat in your home, but like don't set it on fire. And that, and that's the kind of thing. Like you need those little elements like applied properly, but not to dominate. Like yeah, to dominate your thinking. And and I think that's that's a really that's always a really really good way of thinking about things. And I do think where the arguments get the most pitched and the least pleasant is when there's a lot of speculation. Because people, one thing people find hard is when people speculate about things in a way they don't, right? Like, why would you speculate that that's the case? You just must be miserable. Or why do you speculate that's the case? You must just be a propagandist or whatever. Like a great example is the Obamiang thing, right? Because fundamentally, we think we know there was a breakdown in the relationship, but we don't know why. We don't know how bad. We don't know if Obamiang literally made himself totally unusably bad. Or if Arteta was just a disciplinarian who sent him away. But where there's speculation, there's opportunity to craft a narrative that aligns with your worldview. And that's where the arguments get pitched. And that's why I think like the Obamiang thing becomes such a heated argument. Because the people that look at our striker situation presume Obamiang could have been kept and are furious with people that suggest we were right to send him away. And the people that think we were right to send him away are furious with the suggestion that we should allow some miscreant to stay at our club because we genuinely have no idea the extent to which things went bad. So we breathe life into it. We guess. And then when you guess in a way other people wouldn't guess, that's where arguments get particularly pitched. It's a lot easier, I think, when you've just played a game and someone's played like shit for everyone to go, that player played like shit. Or when he bags a hat trick to go, that player scored three goals. I think that was quite good. Those things are a lot easier. Clive, I'll let you have the final say on this, and then I need to tell you about um, a sperm. Uh, so why don't you give us your thoughts on this, and then I will finish with a, a point about a sperm. Yeah, I suppose when it comes to, I'm not sure what point you want me to give a, a final view on, well, no, but just, when it comes to when it comes to the post mortem side of things. This is where you can, yeah. you've got information and data in front of you. And when you look at a, a season where we haven't come from behind, apart from maybe once, if we don't score first. And one out of 11 games where we were trailing, did so we get points? we have a problem. So we have a problem managing adversity. We have a problem potentially coaching from behind. Um, how are we going to fix that problem? Because it's there. Whether we like it, whether we agree or not, it's there. We all know it. We all feel it when the first goal goes in away from home. We all go, oh, God, it's going to be a tough day. Do you know what I mean? Because we know. So in within the team, we have a deficiency there. So how do we fix that? Is that technical? Is it physical? Is it agility? Is it 
Is it leadership? Is it experience? We don't know. So that's going to be interesting to see what, how they prioritise that. I have thoughts around our midfield, our ability to work ourselves out of certain positions and certain game scenarios, which we can all name, and our inability to overcome that. I think that's been something to think about. The fact we've been playing football without no strikers, we all know, and goals make our coach look fantastic. And we've got none of those. We haven't got enough goals in our team. Um, I've been really impressed with some of our stability and our build-up from the back and our transition through the thirds when we are allowed to do so. Really impressed with our unity, our, our system of play, our our connections, our pods and how we play and how we control the central zone. Really, really interesting. I've learned a lot from watching them do that. But we need to build it with quality, right? And I think the, so the, I think the post-mortem side of things is going to be so important. I am so intrigued to see what we do next because I think it identifies us. You know, are we going to be a, a, an energetic team, uh, a pressing team? Are we going to be this team but just better, you know, with more quality? Are we going to size up and speed up? You know, it, it's going to be so interesting to see what we do, but the next layer will define us. I really think so. And um, that's what I'm so excited for this summer. And um, the rest, Elliot, it's just... Um, you need to turn your Twitter off now and again, mate, and don't don't get some of these views into your mind because they just cloud your mind and uh, they distract mm. you. And, and I'm afraid if you pull it all in, you 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 can't see clearly. You have to sift and filter on the key things. I just sent you a, a graphic just now on on, the, on our performance over the season, which I think is wonderful. And it's, it is a great graphic, and yep. it just crystallises it for me. And and I can't explain it as well as you can, but when I look at it, I just think, yeah. This this is this is real. This is beyond emotion. This is this is exactly what we're doing. Basically, it's tracking our XG difference over the course of the season, charting and and over three the past three seasons, and charting how that XG difference aligns with historical performance from title winners, top four, mid table, and relegation. Yeah, and you see a clear progression to where for a large chunk of this season we were at the upper edge of top four. Yeah, um, but we started so low at the very beginning. And we plunged a little at the end, and that's been the difference. Yeah, exactly. I think that's well, well said. And I think for those people that say, well, we haven't moved, we came eighth twice, and we're not improving, our goal's four, our goal's eight. And I think, oh, if you want to be in that hole, you can stay there, you can be there, you can find things that keep you there. But I don't think there are some data information which I find very real, realistic, and exact about exactly what we're doing and the levels by which we're playing at and our competitive landscape. I think that's really important that you broaden your thought process around where we actually are and don't dismiss how you feel because all of us mm. at certain points this year have felt better about the football club. You know how I would say it? I, the best way I could say it, because you just sort of struck on something for me. The last couple of seasons, I felt the errors were obvious and major. And there were huge changes that needed to be made to get us back into contention. You know how I feel now? The errors are much more at the margins. We made we made errors that cost us top four by three points, potentially fewer than that, depending on how things shake out. And these aren't, you know, this isn't, we, we brought in a dead willian for 250 grand a week or re-signed an overpriced over his 30, 30s striker or brought in, you know, a player who our director of football trousered some extra money for his buddy agents or, you know, things like that. Allegedly. These are like, uh, allegedly. Um, well, I said, these aren't like that. 
I'm not saying that ever actually happened. Um, but what I'm saying is that these are more at the margins. Like, could Sambi have been more included or could we have brought in Kedia in a little sooner or could we, could we have found Pepe a few more minutes so he could have – like, these were things at the margins that when the injuries hit exposed a frailty in the project and the way we approached it. But these weren't – our football stinks – these weren't, we can't create a chance. These weren't, we brought in terrible players who are overage and just collecting a final paycheck. So we moved, <laughs> this sounds negative, but it's a positive. We moved from major obvious errors that had to be arrested and changed to f- issues at the margins that cost us that little bit of difference. And oh, by the way, over at Tottenham, they got 37 goals and 15 assists from Kane and Son. And if you want to ask me, why they're probably going to finish top four and we aren't. At some level, when you've got killers up front in their absolute prime at the absolute top of the game, they make things look a lot easier. You know, we didn't always play the most sensible football. Defensively, some of the stuff Arsene Wenger did was scary bad. But when he had Cesc Fabregas and Robin Van Persie or Prime Ozil and Alexis, it fixed a lot of things. You need a force of nature. And we didn't have it when we needed it. Um, I want to finish simply by saying I'm a little jet lagged. And I have spent the last hour and 18 minutes staring at what I believe is a picture of a sperm. And it has been extremely distracting. I'm in a hotel room. And there's just a picture of it. Like sitting right here. For those of you who are watching on YouTube, you may be able to see it. I mean, guys, that's a picture of a sperm, right? Like I took a picture of it with my phone. It kind of looks. I can't think what else it would be. Put it that way. Well, okay. So so you guys agree. I'm not crazy, right? No, I don't agree. It has just dawned on me. <laughs> well, oh, you don't agree? No. You, you think you know what my it head, is? My head ain't there, mate. Uh, it could just be a squirrely thing. Well, I've had like, children more recently than you. <laughs> no. So so here's... All right, Tim, Tim you've had children in, in, in the more of the time frame I have. It looks like a sperm, right? Uh, yeah, I think it does. I've just realized, and this is why graphic designers are... Don't fall into the cult of graphic design. It is a coffee bean with steam coming off it to indicate that you can make fresh roasted coffee in your room. And they have drawn a textbook, medical textbook example of a sperm. So that has been in my head this entire podcast. So if I have at any point said something absurd, more absurd than usual, it is because I have been puzzling myself to figure it out and have finally solved it. So now that it is solved, I can be sharp as a tack for the end of the podcast to simply say, I can't wait to see you all at the Tollington on Friday night. I can't wait to see you all at Union Chapel. Doors at 6.30. If you have tickets, come on out. A thousand people, I think, will be there. It's going to be an absolute celebration of community. Sure, we'll get out some of our frustrations, but we'll hug, we'll kiss, we'll show manscaped parts, we'll drink alcoholic beverages. It's, you know, the more I describe it, it may not be a thing for everybody, but it's going to be great. And then Sunday, we're going to be at the Emirates. We're going to be probably, you know, out at the Tollington before that is my guest. So a a weekend I can't wait to experience and all part of the reason why we love this thing that sometimes makes us miserable, but overall is a huge, huge boost to our life. Congrats to Clive for the the kit launch video. Congrats to Tim for just being a super person. Um, and congrats to me for figuring out what that image was in my room. And Paul will be here soon. So Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter at Stubberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name is still Elliot Smith, and you can still and must still, as Clive has indicated, block me on Twitter, at Yankee Gunner, 
One more game left in the season. I have to get down to Norwich so I can give that pre-match talk, but I will be back soon enough. Come on, everybody. Miracles do happen, right? Dreams can come true. Do you believe in miracles? Well, maybe it's not the best for your well-being, but let's hope for one more. We love you, and we will talk to you after Norwich 10, Tottenham nil. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.